Hi there. My name is Vicki Denny, and you are joining me for But What Do I Know, a podcast where I share my thoughts and insights about current events and about my program work through a Master's of Education. Tonight, the topic is Fostering Wholeness as a Praxis, an Examining of the REs. It may be difficult to listen to my raspy voice, but I use this illness as a manifestation of my soul and a metaphor for the discomfort I feel responding to the tensions of the lingering COVID pandemic. As a way of introduction, I am an ECE instructor and program coordinator at Coast Mountain College in Terrace, British Columbia, a very beautiful part of the world. And I would like to take a moment to acknowledge these beautiful lands since time immemorial guarded and cared for by the inland Simshin First Nation, specifically the unceded ancestral lands of the Kitsumkalem and the Lahibu clan. These traditional lands upon which I find myself remind me of the connections and interconnections between more than human worlds and the necessary reciprocity and respect to ensure these lands exist for future generations. As a settler and perpetrator of colonial practices, especially in education, how do I honor these lands and my education practices authentically? Moving beyond denial and guilt, I vow to respond to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to take up the necessary political and social activism in my instructional praxis. Tonight's podcast will include a sharing of my disconnectedness through implication and perpetuation of dominant discourses that marginalize the other. It will examine reflexive inquiry as a praxis to ensure rigor in research and in our work as adult educators. Throughout this podcast, I will reference the RE's, that's the RE's, as suggested by many education scholars. So let's get to it. Thomas King reminds us to be careful of the stories we tell and the ones that are told. I reflect carefully about how I, always implicated in making stories, must choose what worlds I want to create. The understanding of my privileged implicatedness in the messages I pass along, the contamination of ideas I present and propose, and the introduction of these ideas and how they are received, perpetuated, and or refuted places a heavy weight on my shoulders. However, as I reflect on Fetterman's words in Reflections of an Adult Educator, I am reminded that adult education is a hopeful place. Fetterman offers, the goal of education is to learn how to make sense of the complexity of the world as it is lived and experienced, and from that sense-making to construct a world in which we would all want to live together. Re or RE words come to mind. Reimagining, reevaluating, rethinking, and reflection. Processes of observing the resistance, the resistance of the uncertainty, the resistance to thinking otherwise, the resistance to being in a place of discomfort. It is through connection amidst immense disconnection where the praxis of becoming makes space for something more meaningful in a world of egregious inequity and marginalization. As we sit together pondering the importance of reflexivity in our work, I imagine a conversation, often typical of podcasts, for I am but one voice, and what import should one voice assert? 
In my work as an instructor, I plan each class as an opportunity for discussion. Often the discussion takes us to unanticipated places, but places worthy of deconstruction. To dismiss the potential of something other is to quash the voices and experiences of students and therefore to dominate in a hierarchy of power. My personal awareness of self acknowledges that I am but one voice of many, each equitable in value. Your voice is of value to me and I make space for it and welcome your thoughts. Sitting with the RE's and the current protests against vaccine mandates, I question, what can I do? What is my role? As a parent, a wife, an educator, an instructor, a vaccinated Canadian, a human being, how can I respond to the spiraling decline of democracy amidst authoritarian regimes masked as other? In this week's sociology class, I led our typical discursive practice with students as we deconstructed privilege. At the forefront of our minds was the ongoing trucker rally in Canada. The disconnect between the us and them, the collective and the individual dichotomies bringing to the surface an ugly divisive hatred for the other. As the class discussion progressed, what resonated most was the openness and willingness to debate constructively to leave space for the other's personal conception of democracy, something missing in the rally to denunciate vaccination mandates. What transformations might be possible if respect and reciprocity were the essential goals of a roundtable discussion on vaccine mandates? Is it even possible to sit together and make space to not only listen to, but hear what the other has to say? Creating a space that permits the struggle of self-reflection and to share these observations with peers establishes opportunities to respectfully accept our multitude of differences and give credence to the implicit and explicit qualities that create a complex and beautiful human being. However, as Ramirez posits, it is insufficient to simply admit one's positionality, but to question why one wants to know and what that knowledge construction means. As Stephen Brookfield posits, critical reflection requires us to let go of the reassuring prospect of finding final solutions or eternal verities as we leave behind the solid ground of our old ways of thinking and acting. Our enthusiasm gradually turns to terror. It's not about finding solutions to the world's problems. It's more about sitting in the place of unknowing and unlearning, revisiting again and again, reimagining new worlds, rethinking and reinventing processes, the RE's. To mitigate personal bias for research rigor, we must sit in the discomfort of our transgressions of deeply embedded dominant discourses as they surface. The journey of unlearning and learning anew continues. Andrew and Andrews and Bawa speak of the intensely personal positions of class, sex, and ethnicity inevitably personified in research and research outcomes. If reflexivity is a partnership between and with researcher and participants, my onto epistemological biases may implicitly shape, transform, and affect results. To respond to these processes and to take action is the foundation of reflexive praxis. As we work to activate awareness of dormant ideologies, we position ourselves and others in representations of our work and research. 
to avoid this contamination, we can include documentation of our authentic selves to ensure rigor in our work. A reflexive educator embraces multidisciplinarity and ontological connections with our world, a world that incorporates the interconnectedness of more than human worlds, enabling the mind, body, spirit, heart connection, and allowing space for Indigenous languages, rituals, and ways of knowing that can constitute an anti-oppressive practice. Hansen suggests that the educational possibilities for learning from diverse knowledge systems is perhaps one of the richest ways of engaging in multi-epistemic learning. While we toil with self-awareness and critical reflection in an unjust neoliberal capitalist world, I refer to Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, a work that decries the violent exploitative systems that continue to prep perpetuate an oppression for some humans treated more like objects to possess rather than humans with equality and equitable opportunities. He offers two solutions to enable the emancipation from neoliberalism and capitalism. One, for educators to engage in discourse with the oppressed to reflect on the nature of the oppression. And two, to take action to make the changes necessary for inclusive, diverse, and equitable life. Foucault once said, my job is making windows where there were once walls. I reflect on this praxis of emancipation through education continuously, having integrity, doing the right things, communicating intentions with clarity, being consistent and accountable, and practicing social and environmental sustainability is part and parcel with being an adult educator today. It is a huge endeavor, daunting, in fact, but oh so necessary. We know that education is a solution to a multitude of problems. It is mind-boggling to me that there are people who accept the vitriol and rhetoric of the uber-wealthiest scripture. If you dig just a bit, it becomes obvious how the education system has defined roles for others to live out. The others, believing their envisioned success is possible with hard work, but never reaching that zenith, for they have been outfoxed by the machine that keeps them in their place. They have drunk the Kool-Aid of the polyarchy. Emerging, fluid, varied, continuous, disruptive, exposing. These words are offered by Lyle to describe reflexivity. I'd like to add reimagining as a descriptor for what reflexive inquiry should and must be. Themelis offers this reflection on our practice, then informs subsequent practice, and we call this process or mode of experiential learning revolutionary praxis. The etymology of the word revolution is described as the action on the part of an object or person of turning round or moving round a point. Reflexive praxis, then, can be imagined as a constant, incessant revolution of reflection and response. Plenty of RE's there. The how and why we respond, being responsive to context, being attuned to community, and finding experiential place-based alternatives are some of the ways we can adapt the instruction and research to reflect best practices in adult education. My epistemological approach to education aligns with my contextual awareness. 
I'm a consummate student, absorbing ideas and embracing change in the field of early childhood education and adult education, and translating this information to my varied instructional objectives. I often reflect on the advice of a wise colleague offered before my first day as an adult educator. The teacher is the architect who puts learning before the content. As I leave you this evening, I offer a quote by David Jardine that speaks to my soul, currently in a transition of healing both figuratively and literally, and which leaves us in a hopeful place. Being responsive to changing contexts includes the way we come through experience to live in a whole world full of life, full of relations and obligations and address. It is deeply seated belief about how the world fits together in its deepest and most vigorous intellectual and spiritual possibilities. Thank you for listening to my ramblings on fostering wholeness as a praxis, an examination of the re's or re's on the podcast. But what do I know? Good night. <laughs>